We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. My name is Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta, and today I have a new friend to share with you. Her name is Anita. I'm going to totally butcher her name, but I'm going to try it. It's Busic. She is a Croatian living in the US, and she's got some really fascinating stories about the green card process and being an entrepreneur and all kinds of things. And I'm sure that we're going to go weaving through lots of different things, but let's just kick it right off. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, Heidi. I love being on your show. Nice meeting you the other day. And hello, everyone who's listening in. So thank you. And so tell us a little bit about when you did your pitch at the New Media Summit, which is where we met, you talked about sort of the whole process with the green card, but there's so much more to your story. Can you give us a little bit of your background so that our listeners understand sort of who is Anita and how did you get here? Well, like I started the pitch when you listened to it back in 2012, when the whole world was wondering, are we going to survive 2012 at all? I was jobless, penniless, and bedridden, and completely miserable in my life, and thinking there must be a way out of this situation, and there must be a way that I can monetize my knowledge, because I have spent so much time improving my skills, my abilities, learning a lot, really, on many, many subjects and topics. And I took every opportunity to, wherever I could learn something for free, I would take it. Because, you know, coming from my country, you don't have much resources, financially speaking. So in 2013, I came up with the idea of Body Recog, the digital health platform that performs health risk assessments for cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, type 2, certain cancers, and a slew of other diseases based on a 3D scan of a human body. And it also tracks how the body changes over time as a result of diet, exercise, physical therapy, medication, or any combination thereof. And once I came up with that idea, then I started you know, pitching to investors, and I managed to get some investment. And then Moving forward to 2018, I got my green card as a person of extraordinary abilities. It's also called like the genius green card. And based on the fact, amongst others, that I had 35 awards and recognitions, me personally, my companies live good in Croatia and body recognitions here in US and my invention, body recog. So all together in total, it was 35 awards and recognitions. But that is just one of the criteria. I fulfilled nine out of 10 uh, criteria, the 10th being having a high salary, you know, above average salary than everybody else in your field. Since I was paying myself, I paid myself the lowest. <laughs> you know, as an entrepreneur, you pay others more than you pay yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only requirement that I did not feel fulfill. I fulfilled all the other ones multiple times. And that was the reason why the 
officer who, you know, immigration officer who saw me, she said, I couldn't wait to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) I really was eager to meet you. But she did her job anyway. She was asking questions very strictly, watching me like a hawk, you know, to catch me in a lie. So it's not just because you you have all the paperwork that they're not going to do their job. Oh, they're going to do their job and they do it really well. You know, it's so interesting. I went through a similar process and when I moved to Sweden and I married to a Swede, so that was obviously made the process a little bit easier. But because I spoke Swedish and I look enough Swedish, I found that, you know, the immigration officer was like, are you sure you're not already Swedish? (laughs) It was very funny. (laughs) He was so used to people that, you know, looked different and sounded different and struggled with the language. And, you know, when you get that sort of positive reception, it's a totally different experience. And I mean, I was, I had started studying Swedish when my husband and I first became a couple because we sort of knew right away that we were going to be together. And I was insistent that we wouldn't have a secret language in our household. So, I started learning Swedish. And by the time that I had to go through my interview, it was a piece of cake. It was no problem. They were like, wait a minute, you're gainfully employed. You have your own company. And then it was check, 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 check. And it's such a different experience than a lot of people have when they're trying to go through an immigration process. So I think you and I are very fortunate in that we have that mobility ability in terms of being able and to be welcome. And knowing the language definitely does help. It, it really does help. So it, I would always recommend to ev- anyone yeah. trying for the U.S. green card to really speak English well, because it, it really helps. And they're more confident that you're going to do well in the country if you can prove that you can communicate. You know, and also, she mentioned, you know, e- even if a company goes bankrupt, I'm sure you're going to do well for yourself. You know, so. It's like it is one of the rare visas where you do not actually need to have a job offer. EB1 is also, I think, the only visa that does not have national limits and no backlogs. So that's why I say EB1 is the fastest and surest way to the green card for those who would like to have U.S. green card. Looking at the situation today with the lockdowns and the pandemic going on, it seems that despite all the huge numbers in U.S., I believe U.S. will be the one to recover most quickly because there is an interest to keep the economy going and the government is willing to put money in, which is admirable. You know, I know back home, they're not doing that. Mm. Well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right for a lot of people's sake because there's a very large amount of people yeah. here. that 300 million uh, living in the U.S. Exactly. <laughs> I want to go back a little bit to the work that you're doing, because, I mean, that also fascinated me. I'm, I'm not sure. Actually, you know me more from my Global Nomad Hacks. That's what we started the conversation about. But my other podcast, Evolving Digital Self, really stemmed out of my work with digital health and with the human relationship with technology and the ability to use technology to improve our health and well-being and our ability to really perform as humans. And so can you tell us a little bit more about body recog? And is this something that, you know, as we're seeing increasing numbers of people who are suffering from conditions that are rather hard to detect and to understand and to manage things like autoimmune syndromes or even COVID for that matter, is this something that we can potentially use to adapt or is this more for physical uh, disabilities? 
Body recog is actually what it does. It makes a 3D model of the human body, and then it measures it. And once we get the body measurements, because we know a lot of relationships between body measurements, different indices, and health risks for chronic diseases. So body recog is basically for chronic diseases, not new infectious diseases. My idea was, you know, to combine this knowledge with genetics, you know, with the genome. Mm -hmm. So if we have the outer expression of the genes, which is expressed in our bodies, if we know what people are eating, what are their lifestyles, and we also combine that with their genes, we can get so much new information. Unfortunately, I don't have, you know, a great success story right now to say, because we didn't get funding to complete the thing. We got into a strange loop. So I came to U.S. and then discovered that my developers actually had not really finished converting all the measurements into imperial units. Mm. And so I had difficulty getting, and we did all the testing, scientific validation at universities, European universities, even outside of Croatia, uh, medical, uh, sport studies, and all that. So I was confident, you know, the product is ready. We it's can proven. We it can do this. It didn't occur to me to check imperial units. It, it really yeah. didn't even occur to me. So I come here and all of a sudden, what? Imperial units are not working. Wow. And when they were fixing that, they messed up the whole product. Hmm. And instead of, and they didn't want to fix all the bugs that they have created until we paid them more. And we ran out of funding and I couldn't get anybody to invest because I was new here. I had no influence, no authority. Back home, I do. Everybody knows who I am. Honestly, it's amazing. They didn't care what we did elsewhere. They wanted us to have U.S. customers. And we didn't have U.S. customers because the product wasn't ready for U.S. customers. And so we entered into a loop, which I wasn't able to find a way out. So at this moment, we do want to do Body Recog 2.0. And I am now going into another business to try to fund this myself. There was another unfortunate statistic, which I was not aware of. And that was that in 2017, only 2% female founders got VC funding. Mm -hmm which I did not know. If I had known that, I think I would have chosen maybe things to do differently. It's a very low percentage, unfortunately. That's it, It's better it's than it was, low. though, believe it or not. It's a lot better than it was. Well, 2%, you know, and, and I am an unknown person, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, uh, you know, I don't have U.S. experience. I don't have U.S. educations. I don't have U.S. network. So it was the only way that investors felt comfortable investing was if I had U.S. customers and I didn't have the product which was ready for the U.S. market. And I only realized that when I came here because it, it never occurred to me that that could be an issue. I mean, come on, you put in Google, you know, convert this measurement into another and it's not a problem. So that's why Body Recog is now on standby. But I firmly believe in that. And I have also quite a lot of visions where it can go even further. So don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. I think the, the, uh, the ecosystem, you know, like with a lot of other things, this global reset is really going to have an impact on sort of what we look at for solutions. 
and also where we find the sources of those solutions. So please don't give up. I may actually have some contacts for you we can talk about when we're offline. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I also wanted to apply for grants, but at that time when I was thinking of applying for grants, I didn't have the green card yet. And it was, you have to have permanent residency in order to apply for U.S. grants for, you know, for women and minorities, which I belong to both categories because (laughs) there's so few Croatians in the world, you know, we are definitely a minority. And yeah, but like I said, so I said, okay, what can I do? You know, I started looking into other businesses and other ideas. So one of the things that I came up with was actually sharing the knowledge about how to get the green card, because I, I have seen that it is a big issue for quite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And eventually I will also share some experiences of what not to do in business and what to do instead all the mistakes i have made and learned from and i know people in europe they told me oh we would really like to know that we would really like to learn about what not to do so make a lemonade out of the lemon <laughs> exactly learning how to make lemonade from those lemons but i think it you know there's a lot of different things that even just from the story you told right there that there's so many different lessons that we can take from that and just understanding i mean why in the U.S. are we still doing imperial? It just doesn't make any sense. And it really doesn't. Me. I don't you get know. it. I don't get it. And how could that? I mean, I do understand that that can absolutely mess up your data and mess up your programming. And it, you know, with it not being on a digital scale worthy, we make things so much more complicated than they need to be. But there's something funny about that. Sort of, why do it we is. make things more complicated than they need to be? <laughs> I sometimes find Americans really funny with that need to be different than the rest of the world, you know, like with imperial units and then choosing a different weekend to switch times, you know, than the rest of the world. So it's like, okay, for a week, there's only five hour difference between Croatia and here or for a week or or two. Actually, this time it was two weeks. Two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's seven hour difference between Croatia and, you know, New York. And I said, okay, you know, (laughs) instead of what is normally a six hour difference. And said, all right, just when you're making appointments and etc, you have to be very, very careful of these time differences. So yeah, it is sometimes funny. And you have to laugh. What can you do? (laughs) And I just adapt. You just got to roll with it. Come on. Exactly. Adapt to the circumstances. (laughs) You know, it it doesn't serve any purpose to, you know, break your head. Oh, why is this? Why is that? You learn as you go. And I try to learn as much as possible from other people. So I don't make those mistakes. But still, I made so many myself, despite trying to learn from others as much as possible. I couldn't believe how many I made. (laughs) But perhaps they're not mistakes, they're lessons. And I think that that's, oh, yeah. that's the mindset that of someone that can really transform and evolve in, in today's world. I mean, in order to be able to really move and to grow in this constantly changing landscape, you have to be looking at it as lessons rather than mistakes, because each one is an opportunity to learn. And it seems like you've really taken advantage of each of those opportunities to learn and to learn with, you know, minimal resources and to be able to be agile and kudos to you for being able to do that. It's, it's not a, an easy task. It's not. I'm laughing now, 
but there were days when I was really crying. You know, when you realize that you have invested so much time and then you are failing despite all the recognition. I mean, it was worldwide. We were invited to present in Rio at the Olympics. We were invited to present at, you know, European Commission's conferences and things like that. So we had really high awards and and high prestige and media covering us and all that. We were declared top 10 most innovative in the world of sports, you know, globally and things like that. And then all of a sudden, where are you? Nowhere. So you you kind of feel you want to hide from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Failures are the pillars of success. But you you are still an emotional person and, and you still go through these emotions. I literally went through the whole five phases of mourning. Mm-hmm. You know, first denial, you, you can't believe it's happening. And and then once you made the peace and, and then you're okay. The new reality. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I'm, I'm just saying uh, that because I know there are a lot of people who have faced a failure and after, especially after everybody was putting you in, uh, giving you so many awards yeah. and, and singing your praises. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, because failure is something that we talk a lot about in terms of different cultural approaches to it. Now, currently, I'm living in California. And California is sort of the extreme of where like failure is like a badge of pride Honor. here. Like, you know, I've failed five times. It's like, that's great. <laughs> you know. Whereas living in Sweden, it's an anti-failure. Like you're not allowed to fail. And it's a shameful thing to fail. I'm curious, coming from a place like Croatia and then moving to the US, did you find that your, I mean, probably part of your response, your emotional response was from your heritage, but were you, how did you transform that? Or were you able to transform that to recognition of that it's something that is because it sounds like now you're using it as a tool by saying here I can teach you from the lessons I've learned right so what made that switch for you and how do you feel that your heritage might have played into your response to so definitely in Europe failure is not acceptable it's typically european it's an entire entrepreneur system so if you are not doing well, you're not being helped in any sort of way. You know, here, I'm just giving an, a very fresh example. So the U.S. government is helping businesses that are having problems due to COVID-19. And it's helping any business just to keep who had hired somebody, etc. So they're helping out. In Croatia, it seems that only the big businesses who have been doing well will get help. All the the small ones will not. So, and as far as I know, the typical European culture, I believe in most countries, it it will be more or less like the same. So I know for, in fact, in in Croatia, a lot of small businesses will go bankrupt. They, They won't survive this and they don't have the help. So basically, only if you're doing well, you're being helped. If you're not doing well, you're not being helped. And there is a social stigma of, oh, he's failed. And it goes even from school. So I do have that. The reason why it has been easier maybe for me than for an average creation to overcome that is the fact that I have actually spent six years going to an American international school as a child. 
So I did have some formative influence from the American way of thinking, you know, that it's okay to learn through your failures and uh, to ask questions. So if you ask what somebody thinks is a stupid question in the U.S., that's not a stupid question you're asking because you, you need to know. But in Croatia, believe me, I have had it at my at the doctoral level. I started my PhD in nutrition. Uh, when I asked my professor to explain a term that was unknown to me, because I'm, I have a master's in molecular biology. So I went to study nutrition. So there was a term which I honestly didn't know what it meant. So I asked, and then she said, Kali, you don't know what it means? I said, no, that's why I'm asking. I didn't allow her to make me feel less worthy or ashamed. But the way she posed it, the body language was like, I should be ashamed for asking mm. such a question. She didn't even answer. She asked a colleague, can somebody explain it to her? So she, she even refused herself to explain that. So mm. I'm just saying, what is the difference in cultures? Mm -hmm. I'm saying that because I have been exposed to that, and then I've been coming to US because of peace run activities that I have been doing since 1990, almost on a yearly basis. So I have kept in contact with people from all over the world and, and Americans, and I've been coming to New York, and, and, et cetera. So I have always been more cosmopolitan, but I have gone through you know, the schooling system in Croatia after that international American school. That was a great help. So I am definitely not a typical Croatian like that. If I were, I think I would probably under brackets, you know, die out of shame and not show my face anymore. <laughs> well, maybe you wouldn't be a, have, have been as bold as you were to even get started. Who knows? I mean, it's it. we don't know what it is that feeds our soul, but we, we are who we are from so many different elements of our lives. Now, how did you end up at an international school? Are both of your parents Croatian or did you have... Do yes, you have they mixed? are Croatian. Yeah. And the international school is because uh, in those days... So I was born in a then Yugoslavia. Mm. And in those days, so you might now guess my age, Yugoslavia was part of the non-alignment movement. So not belonging to the West, not belonging to the East. And it was led by Tito from Yugoslavia, Nehru from India, and Nasser from Egypt. And they three as the primary leaders have formed the non-alignment movement, which was having mostly Asian and African countries along with Yugoslavia. And Yugoslavia, since was really advanced at that time, was sending engineers to quite a lot of countries to build dams and build infrastructures, etc. And also, we had a student exchange, so they would also send their students to our universities to learn. So my father was basically working for a company that was building a power dam on the river Indus, which today powers Pakistan with electricity. So it was Yugoslav brains that did it. And of course, with Pakistani help, but that was uh, the reason uh, why we were there. And at that time, the company paid for our schooling. So we went to the American International School. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fascinating, you know, why parents choose to put their kids in international schools. My kids went to international schools for a short period when we were living in Sweden and about to move 
in preparation for them because prior they had been going to Swedish schools and we were worried that their English wouldn't be, their spoken English was fluent, but they had never done written English. And so our kids were there, but there's an interesting culture in international schools because they tend to be a transient community. You have a lot of whether it's an international school, it doesn't matter what languages, it tends to be people that are in the area, you know, for a certain assignment or whatever. And so families are constantly moving around. There's a lot of global mobility in that community. And that's part of the conversation that we're having with Global Nomad Hacks, because a lot of people come from that upbringing. Coming from an international school, and you, it sounds like you went to the traditional schools afterwards, but do you find that that also shaped the way that you make relationships or connect with people? Do you find that you're able to connect easier or has that changed the way that you engage with the world or other people? Oh, absolutely. We actually wanted to continue to go to the international school when we came back in Yugoslavia. But according to our law, because we were Yugoslav citizens, we were not allowed to. So we had to go to the then Yugoslav school and continue schooling in Croatian. I had nothing against Croatian. I mean, me being me, uh, an avid reader and everything, I found books in Croatian, you know, fairy tales, etc. in my father's room. So I would, I learned to read and write Croatian on my own before I even started going to school, just because I really wanted to read everything. So I didn't have difficulty adapting. My brother, though, did. He had much more difficulty adapting to our school. And there was a big difference. You know, in the international school, we had a teacher and a helper. So there were like two people on 15 to 20 students. While in creation school, there was one teacher and there was between 30 and 40 students. So it was much more difficult for them, you know, to track individuals and their progress. And I do remember in the beginning... I didn't have any issues with understanding, but I was still used to thinking in English. So when they would call me up, it, once it happened, the teacher asked me a question and I answered and everybody was laughing and laughing and laughing. And I was just looking around. Why are they laughing? Because I answered, you know, correctly. And then the teacher was laughing too. And then she said, okay, repeat all that, but in creation this time. <laughs> and then I realized that, you know, that I answered in English. I, I didn't even realize that I answered in English. But when you, what you say, for me, it has always been easier to meet people from all around the world. And also because we were living in Pakistan. So I learned to speak their version of English, which is, you know, very limited. And so I have learned even to change my accent depending on with whom I speak. And that's why my accent is now a bit crazy. So if the longer I speak with somebody who has real American accent, the more my accent becomes American. The more I'm speaking with people who have other accents, my accent tends to adapt to theirs. I have noticed that, you know, it's just to make it easier to communicate so sometimes people think that I'm American and sometimes they, they hear that I do have an accent. It's and, uh, so true. I think it's funny how we morph our language. And I know after living in Europe for 15 years and then moving back to the U.S., people were like, 
you have a really strange accent. I can't figure out where you're from. And it was this sort of internationalized English that was very dated. (laughs) And there was sort of these weird, sort of directly translated European expressions from different cultures that were blended in. And you sort of greet each other by saying, ciao, and you, you know, but it was, you know, it was totally normal when you're in a group of people that speak English as a second language because it was sort of the general neutralized language. But then coming back to the States, people were like, I can't figure out where you're from. It was just a very, <laughs> I can't put a finger on it. Now I think I've, I've been in California for seven years. So people are like, oh, you're from California. I'm like, no, no, I, I live here. <laughs> but it is, it is a funny thing with language. We sort of pick up the sounds around us and sort of adapt to what works within sort of the you know the the group that we're speaking with and uh, I think that's very natural but I think we probably do it more if we're used to moving around from group to group yes yes and especially if you moved around as a child it's just the the brain is more adaptable more flexible than somebody who has grown up only in one place they can't adapt simply just because their brain is unable to it it's not their fault you know after Basically, until you're five years old, the brain can then adapt to a lot of different things. After the fifth year, until the tenth, it's less so. But after the tenth year, I would have to... every language that you learn, unless you, unless you're used to learning languages, won't sound like the original language. Yeah, I would have to argue that though. I didn't learn Swedish until I was in my thirties. But you learned it. That's definitely not your first language, right? No, it's not my first language, but I studied French in school. But in in the U.S., you don't start French. We started it early, and I think we were in fifth grade, sixth grade. Most schools don't introduce it until you get to high school. So I think, yeah, I mean, early, but I think about like my kids in Swedish schools, they were learning English as a second language, you know, in kindergarten. So... You know, it's it's all a matter of perspective, but uh, it is fascinating. We could go have a whole conversation about language in the brain, but they also there's the theory that the more languages you speak, the worse you speak each language. You never can do sort of one of them perfect anymore because your brain is constantly processing what you're saying and trying to find the perfect word, not necessarily the perfect language, for each context. And so oh, when yeah. you see, for example, a bottle your brain looks at it and thinks of it in all the different languages that you know the word for bottle, and then has to say, what language am I speaking right now? So it's, it's that extra step that your brain has to take. Anyway, that's a whole different thing on polyglots. But unless you are, you know, like speaking on a daily basis, two languages, you know, I'm on a daily basis, communicating with my family and in creation, of course, and with everybody else, I'm speaking English. So my landlady is Guyana, you know, British Guyana, very specific way of speaking. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Well, there's definitely a fluidity to it. In our house, Swinglish is what is the language of the house. <laughs> you know, it's whatever word works. <laughs> so anyway, it has been such a treat having you on the show. And how can people find you if they want to get more information about either working with you or learning more about Maybe figuring out how to invest in your product, if we can get some women investors. How do they reach you? Well, there are two things. So for those who want to get more knowledge about the green card, I think you're going to put the link. Yes, that will be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So they can buy the 
book about how to get the EB1, how to fulfill the requirements. So I'm not giving legal advice. What I'm giving is advice how to fulfill the requirements because I have done it multiple times. So how to get an award, how to get yourself published, how to get people to write about you, et cetera, et cetera. How to present it at a show, an invention show or, or things like that. So I'm sharing my experience with that. And I do plan on, on creating an online course as well. So for that, people can contact me at Anita at simplysaidcorp.com. So that will be beneath the podcast written. For those who would like to see my original vision come true, Body Recall, the digital health vision, they can contact me again at anita at bodyrecog.com, B-O-D-Y-R-E-C-O-G.com. All right. I just typed it out, so we make sure we get them on that in the show notes there too, because we didn't have that before. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you, Anita, for your work and for being persistent. And we hope that you'll hold out and we get to see that body recog hitting the market at some point soon. 2.0. On 2.0. Yes. Well, we'll be looking out for it. We'll be looking out for it. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. We appreciate your taking the time to join us for the show. And if you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. Appreciate that. It'll help build our visibility so everybody else can find us and we can share the word. We would love to hear in the reviews or in our Facebook group, you know, what do you like about the show? Is there anybody that you would love to have interviewed on the show? Let us know so that we can tune it just right for you and because we're here to serve. For all of you out there, thank you so much today and we look forward to next time. Bye-bye for now.